A new semester has begun, and with it comes new guests, new questions, and new mysteries. The Thundermen have moved into their new dorm. The Fear Bull confides in a friend, Argo ignores hidden dangers, and Fitzroy takes on a project. Can friends be trusted? Who is this person asking questions? And where did the new crepe station come from? We listen to episode 10 of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. Alright everyone and welcome back to Talkin' Taz, your weekly journey through the worlds of the Adventure Zone graduation. With you as always is me, your host and producer PJ, and with me as always is my lovely co-host Lauren. Hi everyone. Lauren, what did you think of this week's episode? I was, okay, so I really liked it, of course. Um, We learned a lot of very interesting things about the world and the boys are all like, I guess not grown up, but like powered up. <laughs> They've grown up so much in the last three months. In the last three months. I mean, but the whole new like villain track is, it's an interesting time. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed this episode. I'm, uh, we got a lot of world stuff, not a yeah. ton of gameplay stuff, but I think that was fine. It was, I think it's finally setting the seeds that Travis has planned to set. Yes, this definitely, it helps the first few episodes where that were so lore heavy they're starting to like really pay off and we're starting to really see more of the entire world not just like the school yeah so let's get started griffin starts the episode right away by asking if there's going to be any skeletons in this one because last time there were skeletons he wasn't warned and he was piss pants scared (laughs) justin echoes the sentiment travis says they should always be prepared for skeletons all the time because they do have skeletons that work in the school yeah and i mean travis was even like there are going to be skeletons. There's I won't tell you where or be when, skeletons. but there will be. That was such a almost like underwhelming threat. Yeah. There will be skeletons. It's my favorite. Um, that's my favorite Daniel Day-Lewis movie. There will be skeletons. Okay. I don't, I don't know a whole lot of anything. Oh, there's a movie called There Will Be Blood. Oh. It's very good. Well, then in retrospect, your joke was very funny. It's hilarious. Yeah. Constantly. Really hard. Yeah. All of my jokes are 10 out of 10 big boy hits. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We officially start and a new semester has begun. The Thundermen have moved into their new dorms, both 10 by 10 rooms. However, Fitzroy's is a solo, while Master Fearbolg and Argo will be sharing the other room. Fitzroy didn't fully get his wish for them to have smaller rooms, but they do only have half the space. The rooms both have beds, chests, and fireplaces, but the ones in Fitzroy's room are much nicer. Additionally, there is a shared chamber that has a sitting area, dining area, and a private bathroom, which reveals that previously there was a communal bathroom probably amongst the whole floor, for where they stayed in in the Sidekicks Annex. Which is very college dorm room-esque, whereas now it feels more like an an apartment, I guess? Yeah, Yeah. I would agree. It's like a two-bedroom apartment. Yeah. When Griffin learns of this, he makes the character choice for Fitzroy that Fitzroy has not pooped in the last six months, and he is going to go for the first time. Though, not exactly the first time. He did poop one other time, back in that mean lawyer's office, back in the Zorn mission. Where he did that really, really savage... um, Fielp review. Jinx. Oh, God, the podcast has to end. I can't talk. (laughs) You just owe me a soda. (sighs) Fine. Griffin has established that Fitzroy can call his poop back into him at will. I know. Back in the fantasy holodeck training exercise. So grossly enough, this is now all canon. This is, I can't believe that this all has like, we have a basis for this and it like makes sense for his character. (laughs) (laughs) Gary says hi and Fitzroy assumes that since there are so many rooms, Gary, who is the same Gary from their old dorm room, will no longer be able to see them sleep. But Travis says that there is a shared corner between all of the rooms, which I'm like, is this like a semicircle apartment? Like what's happening here? That's what I was thinking. And then do the ceiling, the walls not go all the way up to the ceiling? 
since there is a shared corner between all the rooms that has a cutout for the Gary, so he can access all the rooms, like, this is insane. Like, is there no privacy, or is it, like, just a Gary-shaped hole, and he can just perfectly fit through, like, that one show, The Wall? Like, I've what's happening either, here? That's unsurprising. Huh? I've not seen that either. Oh, it's a but game that's... show. Basically, like, oh. a wall is coming at you with a specific shape, and you have to contort your body to match that shape so you can go through the wall, or you get knocked out and you lose. Oh. It's like a wipeout, but, like, on a treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that put images in my head, I guess, for Gary. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's insane. But I, I think this was Travis's way of being like, no, you don't get to escape Gary. No, I mean, I love Gary. Don't get me wrong. He's one of my favorites. But I don't want him to watch me sleep. Well, too bad. Don't go to Hieronymus Wiggins' school of heroism and villainy. At all. Argo additionally does confirm that the cat followed them to the new dorm. Gary points out that it's odd that such a nice room was available in the middle of the semester and claims it's because the dorm room is haunted. Ooh. Fitzroy says he needs to know if Gary is joking or not. Gary says that that's what he heard from the Gary Hive mind. Fitzroy asks Master Fearbolg if he can sense any spiritual energy, and he casts Detect Magic. Travis says there's ghostly energy everywhere. Justin reminds him he can't lie, he's the DM, but Travis doubles down, but like in a way where I still can't tell if he was joking or not. Yeah, they... The question of if this room is haunted or not is left very open. Very open-ended. Like, yeah. he's even like, no, yeah, for sure. But he says it in a tone where he's like, yeah, no, for sure, of course there's ghosts. And I'm like, are you being honest, sir? Are you being honest? Because, like, listen, necromancy is a thing here. Yeah. So. Gary asks how they liked their new dorm, and Fitzroy says he liked it a lot more three cursing minutes ago. And that's right, he can curse now. Gary notes that those imps really taught Fitzroy something, and Fitzroy says they did. They taught him about life and love. Gary prods on this and asks if Fitzroy smooched or even made love to an imp. <laughs> Fitzroy denies it. And like, I listened to the episode, so I know he's telling the truth, but he says it so coyly that I was like, did Fitzroy sleep with an imp and I missed it? Did he? Did he like <laughs> slip into a Like the room? way he was saying it, he was like, no. Like he wasn't like, no, I didn't. He was like, no, I didn't. Why are you being so crass, Gary? And I was like, did he sleep with an imp and I didn't notice? <laughs> Did he even like go to the point where he was like, I, I never kiss and tell? Yeah. <laughs> oh my Fit- God, Fitzroy. <laughs> Fitzroy. <laughs> Does that destroy your ship? Uh, No, monogamy is a lie. Mm. Fitzroy asks if there is in-room dining for them now since they're in such a much fancier apartment. Gary says there isn't, just a dining hall, but that he's heard of a new addition that might interest Fitzroy. Fitzroy pleads with Gary not to get his hopes up about a crepe station if there isn't one before bolting out of the room, fear bulg in tow, to check out the dining hall. <laughs> in the dining chamber, there is a crepe station. Yay! Fitzroy is so excited that he threatens to attack anyone in his way or in line. <laughs> But luckily, he has a straight shot to the station. This is the best crepe station around. Not the crepe station 5, which loads crepes almost instantly, mm-hmm. but the crepe station 6, which is supposed to be illegal and can make both sweet and savory crepes. And rumor has it, if you put in the right settings, it can make a savory sweet crepe. What would that look like? God, it would be like, it would have to be like, you know, like when you get like a peach and like cheese, like like it's like a usually like a meltier like savior cheese and they'll put like fruit on it like usually like a peach or like a plum or something mm-hmm. like and they do that a lot with like dips and stuff at like fancy places i could see that being a crepe yeah that's true Ricotta like a cheese and fruit stuff yeah like a cheese and fruit yeah or i mean you could go all in and you could have like you could have it be like a, a meat-based crepe but it has like a grape jelly in, or something in it or if it's something like the abomination that hawaiian pizza is I don't know why you feel the need to do this. Okay, but it I look, isn't, it look, isn't a good pizza. No, okay. Hawaiian pizza is amazing. Is it? 
pineapple truly does belong on pizza. No. If you disagree, you're classist, elitist. Oh my God. From not wanting pineapple on my pizza. Yep. Honestly. 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 You don't make the rules. I don't make the rules. Okay. Okay. I'm okay with people not liking pineapple on pizza. Yeah. But what I'm not okay with is people telling other people that pineapple on pizza is a bad thing. Okay, so if that that amend my statement to say it would be an abomination for me yes. to have pineapple on my crepes. Yes, because you know what? People are allowed to like and dislike things that you do or don't. And that's where we're going to end this week's episode. <laughs> Tune in next week. to The see- more you know. <laughs> No, but like, I mean, let's not get too into this, but no one's ever like, oh, you don't like, you know, like there are plenty of people that like weird things and also don't like normal things on their pizza, right? Like I know people that don't like pepperoni on a pizza and I've I've never been like, that's weird. Pepperoni belongs on a pizza. But yet when I'm over here, like I eat pineapple on my pizza, everyone and their mother has an opinion. You just got to let people like what they like, guys. You enjoy your pineapple on your pizza. And you enjoy whatever basic thing you eat on your pizza. That feels almost backhanded, but thank you. (laughs) I'm a hypocrite of nothing else. (laughs) Fitzroy tries to make the savory sweet crepe, and while he doesn't succeed, he still makes a very edible crepe. Travis wonders what stat you'd use for crepe making. Is it whiz because you're a natural chef? Is it int because you've read a lot of cookbooks? Dex because of the difficulty in crepe making itself? Well, I'm here to answer that question. On a true D&D mechanics level, you'd have to have a character proficient in cook's utensils and have them roll a d20 plus proficiency. However, players try to do things out of their proficiency all the time. What's your backup? For this specific situation, not cooking as a whole, I'd probably have Fitzroy roll a wisdom check specifically, as cooking is intuitive. Conversely, baking would be int-based, but I don't want to spend the next 20 minutes detailing every cooking mechanic you can have in a campaign. You put way more thought into this than I did, but well, I guess that's the DM in you. I was about to say, like, the second he was like, well, what's that would I roll? I was like, well, what's that would I have my players roll? I've never attempted cooking during a campaign. You never really have to. Honestly, nine times out of ten, I would never have someone roll to cook unless they were trying something complicated, right? Roll to cook. Roll to cook. And I would probably, you know, I mean, like, okay, I'm going to get a little bit more into it. Like, if you guys are in a campground and you guys are foraging for stuff, I'm going to have them roll survival for their cooking, mm. which is whiz-based. So I feel like it matches because either they're it's just as good as their wisdom or it's a little better. However, as I pointed out, baking will always be int-based to me because while cooking, I've cooked plenty of times. I love cooking. It's one of my favorite things to do. You can kind of fudge around with recipes. You can add stuff. You can mess stuff up a little bit. Baking is so precise that it's fully int-based. That's true. Baking is the science. Cooking is the art. And that's been PJ's Cooking in D&D Corner. We Check learned- out Heroes Feast, the official D&D cookbook. Is it really? Yeah. <gasps> what? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I've learned so much this episode. <laughs> As Fitzroy retrieves his crepe, Buckminster calls him over to join him for breakfast. Buckminster, we are reminded, is one of the Thunderman's friends, along with Rainier, and that he has, for lack of a better term, lost Leon. Oh my god, I Breaks my heart. Love oh, that sweet, sweet boy, no. and I don't know what happened to him. I'm so scared for Leon. He has had magic used on him, so that he is cool with that, though. Fitzroy clarifies that he did not inform the Fearbulg or Argo about the enchantment magic he detected on Buckminster. Argo spears a few kumquats and sits next to Buckminster. Travis asks if Clint even knows what a kumquat tastes like, and Clint says he used to have a kumquat tree and says they are also known as Japanese plums, which jogs Travis's memory. I do want to clarify, Japanese plums are actually loquats, which are very similar to kumquats, but they are different fruits. 
but they taste and look very similar. The main difference being that kumquats grow in bushes while loquats grow in trees. And they come from different genus and other things that do make them fully different fruits. Meaning they had a loquat tree, not a kumquat tree, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were told it was kumquats. Buckminster asks the boys about their imp adventure. Here we have Argo saying, and Fitzroy agreeing, that he owes Fitzroy a life debt. Which I'm curious if that will come up again? I mean, maybe. This is very Chewbacca and Han Solo to me. Like, it kind of comes up a little later in the episode, but like, obviously it's not like an acted on. Like, this isn't a spoiler being like, yeah, and in 20 minutes, Fitzroy dies. Except he does it because Argo saves his life. And this is where we get perma character death for Argo. It's not. Please don't assume that that's happening. Don't don't listen to PJ. Fearbull drops a mad deep talk by saying it was hard because some of the imps were good and some were evil. There was no time to tell the difference. Yeah, it got real dark. Yeah. Which is, I mean, like, that's a really true allegory. Like, you hear soldiers say that a lot. Like, sometimes you just don't know. Mm-hmm. And Fearbull apologizes for bringing down the mood, understandably. Yeah. And offers to tell a joke. The joke is, how many seeds does it take to grow the mighty birch? One seed. <laughs> uh, what a good joke. It's a creeper joke. This seems more like sage wisdom than a joke, but the fear bug does say it's a thinker and maybe later on they'll be doing something in their random day to day and it'll finally hit them and they'll remember just how funny it was and they'll finally get the punchline. (laughs) Clint calls it a real Stephen Wright bit. Do you know who Stephen Wright is? Of course I don't. Oh my God. I I don't know why I actually thought you would. Uh, Stephen Wright is a very famous comedian who has a very dry one-liner sense of humor. Like all of his jokes are very like dry one-liners i think you would love it because you love british comedy i do love british comedy so I'm- but like there's i don't even know if, i don't even think this is an actual stephen wright bit but it might be but family guy has my favorite go-to stephen wright bit which is i spilled a spot remover on my dog now he's gone oh no <laughs> and i just think that's so funny <laughs> i'll have to look him up buckminster comments on fitzroy's new brooch and fitz says a hawk flew down and gave it to him like in a fairy tale Buckminster says it looks just like a brooch he gave Leon for his birthday last year. (gasps) Before I go into how sus that is, I just want to say I never pictured Leon as a brooch boy. But maybe he was more of a fancy lead than I gave him credit for? No, but he he gave it to Leon, right? He gave it to Leon for Leon's birthday. Yeah, but like you would give something to someone that you think they would enjoy. You don't just give someone a brooch because like you think it's, you know. Sometimes brooches are just nice. Yeah, but I don't know. I feel like if he spent a lot of money, because clearly it was like a nice brooch. Not expensive, but it was like very nice. As we detailed in the Mission Impossible 2, Unfinished Business, it was a nice brooch. So clearly Leon may have been, I'm just saying, Leon might have been more of a fancy lad than I ever imagined him being. I see Leon as having very good taste. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. But yeah, this is sus as hell. Uh, yeah, Last I episode, was... I did think the hawk was a transformed version of Fitz's imp friend, but maybe it was like Leon's secret hawk familiar that he sent with his brooch as a sort of like secret message that he knew Buckminster would understand and he would if there wasn't like enchantment magic on him. Okay, I went a completely different route. I remember when we went into Springs Eternal, Travis made a point of saying that there was a spectral hawk in the bar. And that's where Buckminster later met up with Fitzroy. So I'm wondering if Springs Eternal is like where whatever the heck happened to Leon like went down. Oh, maybe. See, I thought they were different hawks just because they didn't say that the hawk that gave him the brooch was spectral. Oh, that's oh wait, it was-, was it? Because he did say it was a magic bird. It was just a bird. Oh. He didn't specify. The boys didn't investigate the bird much other than to be like, this isn't You guys, I know uh, you guys can't see this, but we have a cork board with red thread running everywhere. We're going to crack this code. Yeah, it's kind of a mess. This goes deeper than any of us could ever expect. 
yeah, you're you're in for some crazy. I haven't slept sometimes. in four days. It's been longer than that. <laughs> I don't even know anymore. <laughs> Fitzroy, obviously knowing everything, asks if him having this brooch is okay, and Buckminster says, "Of course it's okay. It's just a similar brooch." And Leon is off traveling anyways. Fearbulg asks where he is traveling, and Buckminster struggles to give a real answer. Fearbulg succeeds on an inside check and realizes something is wrong. Fitzroy tries to get ahead of the Fearbulg accidentally breaking the enchantment on Buckminster as he fears for what that may do and tries to signal for Master Fearbulg not to say anything. The Fearbulg picks up on the hint and just wishes Leon a safe passage. As he doesn't have enough context to know Leon isn't traveling, just that something about that information feels wrong, so this isn't a lie. Yeah. Rainier joins the group, and the boys keep throwing out imp puns to describe their break, saying it was impossibly fun, imply delightful, and that it was impudent of Rainier to ask. Fearbulg again drops the morality tale of Mission Imp Hospital, and Rainier is so used to the Fearbulg's whole deal at this point that she just kind of moves on, <laughs> and lets us know she visited her dad. Who's a lich? Well, yeah, Fearbulg asks how her dad is. Yeah. Rainier says her dad is dead, but he's fine. Yeah. Fitzroy is justifiably going to need her to clarify that statement. And cautiously asks, is she squirrelitized her dad? But she didn't. He's just a lich. He's just a lich. So not technically dead, just not alive, but kind of. Kind of. Being Ma- a lich is complicated. Yeah. I mean, it's like you're a wizard that just never wants to die. You put your soul in a phylactery. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Voldemort wishes. <laughs> I mean, Voldemort's kind of like the ultimate lich in a way, though, because like liches just have like their one phylactery. Voldemort was like, how about seven phylactery? Damn. Yeah, but he, he like, straight up is gone. Yeah, but, I mean, the same thing would happen to a lich. It could. Not I've killed like liches that. in my day. You have? Yeah. Oh. You just got to find their phylactery. It's super oh, easy. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I'm silly me. Jeez, Lauren. I've never been lich hunting before. Is wow. that what you call it? God, I knew you were missing out on some pivotal experiences in life, but I didn't know you missed out on lich hunting. I have not gone lich hunting before. Oh, yeah, yeah. Master Fearbulg asks if he was a lich when she was crafted, which is the worst way I've ever heard anyone put that. Yeah, I did not like that. He was not, but he did teach Rainier everything she knows about necromancy. Fearbulg is so glad to hear this, that he was a late-in-life lich, as it is so important for our seniors to follow their bliss and not become complacent. Life begins at death, after all. (laughs) Normally, around now, Gary would have chimed in with the morning announcements. However, today, Hieronymus Wiggenstaff himself walks onto the stage to welcome the students back. Fitzroy cheers him on and calls him Ron, and I hate it. Yeah, I was not. I was like, don't. I was like, I get where you're coming from, but I hate it. It's Hieronymus, but yeah. it was not It was not good. Hieronymus congratulates the students on the work they did over the break, reminds them not to get distracted and focus on schoolwork, and finally, he introduces them to Althea Song, an elf with autumn orange hair who looks out at the crowd with a raised eyebrow. She works for the Heroic Oversight Guild, and she seems sus as all hell. She does, but then simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. So she seems to us given the timing of everything, but Fearbulg realizes that even though Hieronymus is excitedly introducing her, he is annoyed by her presence. Mm-hmm. And since I'm starting not to trust Hieronymus, I'm wondering if she is sus, but will be more of a like an enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of character. I have not trusted Hieronymus from the beginning. There was a moment where we started both trusting Hieronymus, and it was when Higglemist started becoming sus. That's not to say that I ever trusted Hieronymus. You know what? Do you have the receipts? It's on. It's recorded. I might have to insert this here. (laughs) Because I was so suspicious of Hieronymus when he was talking to Fitzroy, right? Higglemist? Yeah. Because he was like, don't trust my brother. Like, he... 
look out only for yourself, don't trust anybody. And then we have this. If there is a flashback scene here, know I was right. If there is nothing here, just know I was wrong. And I'm going to cut this out so you'll never hear this. Right. So no one ever. No one will ever know that I was wrong. It's not possible. (laughs) No, you'll know. Listen, I'm just heartbroken about everything that's going on with Higglemas because I loved him so much. Yeah, but he's like the extra sus right now. Oh, yeah. No. With all the stuff happening with Fearbulg. Yeah. No, I'm super, super suspicious of him. But I've always been suspicious of Hieronymus. Yeah. Unless I'm proven otherwise, which I won't be. Hello everyone, it's me, PJ, your Reckless Raconteur, here as always to thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. We hope you're enjoying the beginning of the new semester, because it's leading to a lot of change and a lot of revelations. Be here for those revelations and more by keeping up with us on social media. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Talkin' Taz, or by searching for Talkin' Taz Podcast. Or go to our website, talkin-taz.pinecast.co, for links to those socials as well as all of our episodes. If you're enjoying the show, tell your friends about it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help. A few notes from the episode. At one point, I mentioned the show The Wall when I meant to call it Hole in the Wall. The Wall is a completely different game show, so maybe stop making wall-based game shows, TV. While I did insert a flashback of Lauren's temporary trust for Hieronymus, even I will admit it was more of a compounding of suspicion leading to mild removal of suspicion rather than a full-blown trust. I'll still take a small victory lap for even being 2% right, though. Last week we left you with a question about forgotten abilities leading to potential death. This week is more of a doozy. Have you ever been in a campaign with player-to-player betrayal? Did it lead to drama at the table? Were you the betrayer, the betrayed, or just a nail-biting witness? Let us know! Now, back to the podcast. As the gang disperses to head about their day, the Fearbog finds himself heading to Higglemas' office. He knocks on the door, a moment passes, then Master Fearbog wakes up under a tree where he must have fallen asleep. And immediately, Ugh. what we were talking about two seconds ago, Higglemas is sus as all hell. Yeah, there is something going on and it's very, very, very creepy. Yeah, I mean, regardless of everything, they're both sus as hell. Higglemas and Hieronymus. There is something going on with the admin of this school. Argo meets with Jackal to work on his rogue skills. Jackal leads Argo to the balcony, as no Garys can listen in there. Jackal asks Argo how his mission went, and Argo starts answering about Mission Impossible, but Jackal clarifies he met the mission to gather information on Fitzroy. He says he learned about Dendra, her jewels, and her hot mint gum. That hot mint gum, though. Lamenting that that is all he learned, as the boys don't talk about themselves much, Argo then starts getting emotional, as he feels Fitzroy and Master Fearbulk have a bond and he doesn't feel a part of it. I actually really felt bad for him there. I mean... I did too. I can definitely see that like Fearbog and Fitzroy are definitely getting closer and they have a really strong bond between the two of them. But Argo joined a secret society and was totally okay with gathering information on Fitzroy without really knowing why. Well, kind of. I mean, so as we move on with this scene, Jackal calms him and reminds him of his mission. They theorize on where Fitzroy's magic might be coming from and Argo is disappointed that the hot mint gum wasn't a clue. <laughs> That's where all my magic comes from. As he was very proud of getting that piece of information. Jackal says it's not that impressive as hot mint gum is the most common gum in this world, which, like, gross. Is it? 
it's like a I w- I've imagined a cinnamon gum, which yeah, that's again, what I imagine. And cinnamon gum is the worst. Okay, but what did we talk about with pineapple on pizza? Just because we don't like it, I didn't say gross that other people like it. I said gross for me. I think it's gross. Oh, okay. everyone else in the world can have cinnamon gum. When I used to work at my mom's lunch truck in the summers, I sold people cinnamon gum. I didn't judge them. I didn't give it to them and spit in their face as much as I wanted to. <laughs> But I sold it to them with a smile on my face and said, enjoy your hot mint gum. And in my head, I said, you dumb, dumb, dummy. (laughs) But I didn't say it because I respect people's choices. I'm just saying, I was like, wow, everyone's buying this hot mint gum. What's it all about? And I tried that big red and I was like, big mad. Argo asks if this information will be used to hurt Fitzroy. Jackal assures him it won't, and Argo shares that when Fitzroy could have healed himself, he instead brought him back. He may be an arrogant jerk, but he's a nice arrogant jerk. Jackal assures him again that there is no plan to hurt Fitzroy, and that it's really about learning the source of his magic. The reason so many members of the Unbroken Chain exist at this school is because 50 years ago, wild magic was detected bleeding from the Godscar Chasm. They stayed to protect and monitor it, but then Fitzroy came brimming with wild magic and they feel this isn't a coincidence yeah argo asks why he can't simply ask fitzroy and jackal says it's because they're a secret organization he can't just ask but i was like that's such bs yeah he could like he doesn't have to be like well i'm a member of the unbroken chain and they're really curious where you got your magic from he could just be like hey your magic is like whack what happened and you know what like honestly Fitzroy has honestly answered that question to him before. He just said that he's always had magic. Yeah. But then he also has said that it came on suddenly. But it did. Like, that's accurate. Like, Fitzroy knows as much as everyone else does. That's true. Fitzroy doesn't know a ton about his magic origins either. Exactly. It surprised him. Argo agrees to continue investigating on their terms, but if it comes to them harming Fitzroy, he'll be the first broken chain, which was such a badass line. Oh, yeah, that was really cool. And this is where I'm like, I don't think it's fair to say that he's stepping out on them a little bit because he's like, I'm a part of this because my mom was and I respect you guys and I'll help you because, you know, it is very curious, but I will never choose you over my friends. Yeah, this is where Argo won me back. Yeah, I I completely agree. Yeah, I was pretty suspicious of him because he was gathering information on Fitzroy Mm -hmm. and he, like Fitzroy has said, like keeps sneaking out of the dorm and stuff. But this is where I was like, oh, okay, Argo. Yeah. (laughs) They end the conversation on a point of understanding before moving on to actual rogue practice. Jackal says he will be teaching Argo about lockpicking and presents three chests. Argo points at one and says he'll pick that one. A plus joke from Clint there. (laughs) He begins to do perception checks before picking the locks. He breezes through the rest with no issue, save for a trickier chest which just requires some additional investigation. Travis interrupts to say he doesn't really care if this is boring to anyone because he's just so dang proud of his dad for learning to be a careful rogue. Yeah, that was a really... It was a good time. Yeah, it was cute. I actually wasn't that bored of this. I wasn't He should apologize to me for those accounting segments like three episodes ago. (laughs) I know you loved that lawyer segment. Yeah. (laughs) After opening the final chest, he finds a warm cookie. Clint begins to add it to his inventory, and Travis is understandably confused as to why he's not just eating it then and there. Griffin jokes he's going to throw it at the final boss. <laughs> and Justin agrees, as this isn't just a regular cookie, it's the ever-warm cookie of Gladespring, and it's worth 10,000 gold piece. I have never heard of that item before, but now that's like all I want. Well, yeah, it's really important if you're ever in a tundra setting because mm. you always have this ever-warm cookie. You don't want to get rid of it. That's true. If I've you never... eat it, then your innards are ever-warm and you die. <gasps> 
Oh no. Is this one of that Unearthed Arcana? This is uh, in the latest errata, yeah. Oh, okay. Jacqueline Argo fist pump in celebration as the boys joke about finding more lockpicking content on their Patreon and social media. <laughs> we move along to Fitzroy, who is still worried and paranoid about what's going on with Leon and Buckminster. He says the right thing to do would be to gather a Dumbledore's army of sorts and try to stop this, but he just wants to keep his head down and graduate. However, he does realize whatever is going on will probably get in his way regardless, so he wants to find a way to protect his brain, though not through Occlumancy which is like the second Harry Potter reference in this sentence. Exactly. <laughs> so he wants to craft a magical item that can help with that. He begins to head towards the artificery lab, and on the way, sees Fearbog waking beneath a tree. <laughs> Fearbog wakes, confused, and asks if he can speak to Fitzroy. Fitzroy agrees and tries to silently signal to the Fearbog by, like, constantly touching his nose. I didn't get what he was trying to signal, did you? The only thing I could make reference to was the movie The Sting, where that was how they signaled to each other that the con was on was they would touch the side of their nose yeah i was thinking of something like that because i've seen that in other things too yeah but i was like i don't know if the fear bull gets this reference and i don't know if fitzroy would think that he would regardless the fear bull does not understand what fitzroy is trying to signal mm-hmm. fear bull says he will find a quiet place for them to meet in the forest and fitzroy loudly says they'll be meeting at the library as to throw off any listening ears but also unfortunately confusing the fear bulk. This disappoints Fitzroy as he felt he was building some sort of unspoken bond with Master Fearbog and just tells him to find a spot in the forest and they'll talk soon. So the Fearbog goes in search of like a really good tree, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we'll spend like 20 minutes on that. I hope so. I'm honestly super excited. I hope they don't just breeze past it. Yeah, no, I really want to know all that tree lore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the artificing lab, we find Crabtree, the artificer who has beautiful long gray hair and a lush gray beard. Artificing isn't taken until your second year, so Crabtree is a little surprised to see the first year Fitzroy. She asks how she may help, and Fitzroy plays along as though he's a model student saying he bleeds the school color. Which Travis jokes are probably green and gold or purple and black, but it's up to the merch people to decide. Yeah, I haven't seen any colors for... Well, so the merch, there's only one piece of merch with the Hieronymus Wiggenstaff's logo on it. And it's like green and cream. I don't hate that. The podcast has the same emblem as the merch, like the podcast cover art, and it's red, blue, and gold. So unfortunately, this is going to have to remain an unsolved mystery. Man. I wish I could remember the Unsolved Mystery theme song well enough to acapella it here, but I do not remember it that well. And I don't know Unsolved Mysteries, so. It's a super scary show. I mean, it's not that scary, but when you're a kid, it's pretty scary. But it's just about Unsolved Mysteries. And it actually has led to a lot of crimes being solved. Like, literally, there would be segments being like, three weeks ago, we shared this episode. And so many of you called in being like, I know where that guy is, and we caught him, and he's arrested now. And they actually just revived it on Netflix. I think the second season just started airing. Okay, that would Um, frustrate me. I would want to know the end to the mystery. Yeah, but it's all unsolved until you maybe get an update but and this is like a universal experience i thought this was just me because i just thought i was a weird kid but i've seen so many like facebook and twitter posts about it where like i loved watching the show but the theme song was so scary to me and i would like run out of the room when the theme song started and come back in when the show started oh my god that's really cute it's a common experience because yeah it's very like but like super intense man i gotta check this out Fitzroy asks if he can essentially be tutored in artificing by Crabtree as he has the soul of an artist and feels artificing will be his medium. (laughs) He watched a few YouTube videos, no doubt fantasy YouTube videos, of course, and hurt his fingers, so he figured learning from a master would be the best route to go. Crabtree asks if he has anything in particular he'd like to craft as they don't have time to fully teach him artificing, more so just guide Fitz through a project. Fitzroy is trying very hard not to say what he wants as he doesn't trust anyone and keeps dismissing Crabtree's project ideas. 
He says he doesn't know exactly what he wants and lands on essentially wanting something to protect his mind from interference. He does try to play it off and say a laser bracelet would work too, but you know what? Let's just be random and go with the first one. Yeah. <laughs> Crabtree agrees to take on this ambitious project, but says that due to the material costs, Fitzroy will need a signed permission slip from either of the Wigan staffs. Fitzroy asks if there is literally any other way to make this happen and even offers to pay for it himself a little bit, but he's kind of told you either get the permission slip or we make something way less cool. Fitzroy says he will work on that and gets a list of the materials. That makes me so nervous because, as we've established, I trust neither of them. Yeah, no, I think this is Travis definitely sowing some drama seeds. Ooh, but I mean, it makes sense because protecting oh. the mind is like, that's high level yeah, stuff. Yeah, and he describes the items. So Fitzroy gets a list of the items, ideally so he can try to make it himself. And the items are like very expensive. It's like gems and gold and there's no way he can make it himself. Mm-hmm. And even if he could, Crabtree lets him know to be careful with that idea because imperfectly making an item that protects your mind could have some really bad downsides. Yeah. He heads off to get the signatures. And Travis reminds Griffin that he does know another artificer, Mimi. But Griffin says since Fitzroy didn't remember that, he won't force that narratively, which I give him mad props for. Yeah, I like that Griffin is so true to Fitzroy and what Fitzroy knows as opposed to what Griffin knows as a person. Exactly. Yeah. Fearbolg is searching for trees in the unknown forest, which we learn feels almost like a world unto itself and is difficult to perceive. Fearbolg finds the tree slightly into the forest, but Travis reminds us that even this little into the forest, danger is ever-present. Justin would like the wiki to show that he ain't scared. <laughs> Fearbolg sends a pin via text, or, I guess, sends his coordinates via the notebook of far speech, to Fitzroy. Yeah. Fitzroy heads over, wondering if he should bring Argo into the fold, but determines he is too suspicious of Argo's comings and goings throughout the night. Fitzroy follows the Fearbolg's overly specific instructions and makes his way into the unknown forest. He feels even more uneasy with a true feeling that he is not supposed to be there. He pulls his cloak a little tighter and would like the wiki to show that he is scared but is going in anyway, <laughs> which Travis says is real bravery in his book. That's true. That's yeah. very Justin and Griffin energy too, to where yeah. Justin's like, I'm not scared. Griffin's like, no, I am, but like, I'll still go. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. <laughs> Fitzroy asks Fearbolg how he is feeling. Fearbolg confides in Fitzroy that he is scared. Not of the forest. Again, let the record show. Yeah. But because he is doing things he can't remember and doing things for reasons he can't recall. He feels he has no control. They confirm there are no Garys around or any general ways Travis could F them on this. Fitzroy asks if Fearbolg trusts him and he says he is a CEO and there is no stronger bond. At least not for him. And I was like, oh, that's like a really sweet way of saying like, yeah, I do trust you. Yeah, he trusts him a lot. Fitzroy casts detect magic and finds the same kind of magic on Fearbolg as he did on Bugminster. Not just the same kind, but probably from the same source. Yeah. Upon learning this, he tries to cast Charm Person on the Fearbolg, which was like a genius move. Yeah, I really liked how they they worked this in the way they did. It was really, really cool. I just like, I would have never thought to do that. No, I wouldn't have either. But Griffin has done this a couple of times yeah, where no. he just does something that's completely out of the, the box. The boys are brilliant. getting always better at like that like out of nowhere genius like let me use this to do this move. Yeah. He hopes that since he is already enchanted, his enchantment will be in conflict with the existing one. He's able to charm the fear bulk, but notices that it is almost as if his psyche is damaged. With this, he learns that there is not an ongoing spell on the Fearbolg, which is good as it means Fearbolg isn't unknowingly sending every piece of information to a mysterious third party, but something was removed from his mind. Fitzroy gives Fearbolg a good news, bad news. Good news, there is no warlock sunseeing eye in his brain. Bad news, someone was up in his brain and took something out. Worse news, he has no idea how they did it. 
Decent news, Fitzroy is working on a way to protect them. Awful news, he needs help from the deans of the university to accomplish this. So a little more than just going to bad news. Yeah, that's a little more complicated. Fearbook says he has been doing things like taking the mercury in the hospital, and I'm assuming also taking the gem in the mine, and he never knows why, and he doesn't know where the items have gone. There was some very, very ominous music playing underneath this the entire time, which really added to like the chills I was getting from all of this. It was very good. Yeah, no, they did a good job of really setting a tone here, especially just in general. I think like the second they enter the Unknown Forest, it's very like that music is playing. Yeah. Fearbulk would like to help Fitz with his project, and Fitzroy asks if he has any platinum or precious gemstones, and Fearbulk says he has something more precious. Patience. He's not wrong. I know, but I'm still mad at him. He has everything to give, but he's like, but I can wait for it. I'm gonna wait for it. Fitzroy says that's not really what he meant, and jumps to say that to accomplish this, he will probably need to break a few rules to get things done, whether that be forgery, deception, stealing, whatever, and Argo would be the best to accomplish that. However, Argo has been acting suspiciously, more suspiciously than just normal rogue behavior, so Fitzroy is choosing not to bring him into the fold on this. Just yikes. (laughs) Fearbulk suggests charming Argo, to which Fitzroy says he doesn't think Argo is in the same situation as Fearbulk, and he thinks he's doing whatever he's doing of his own will. Fitzroy says he trusts Fearbulk with his life, but can't say the same for Argo, and doesn't know what it would take for him to get there. Which is so understandable at this point, but also so heartbreaking, because Argo literally said he would abandon the unbroken chain to protect Fitzroy, but obviously, like, he doesn't know that. Yeah. We We know that, and it's narratively so heartbreaking. Yes, but this happens all the time in stories, and I love that Mm -hmm. it's being brought in here. I love it. It's such good storytelling to do this. Yeah, and I think it's really sweet that Fitzroy at least has someone to trust. It's the fear bowl. Yeah. But, ugh, I just want all three of them to be, like, friends. Best friends. Yeah. They've all had a busy day and arrive at the dorm room at the same time. Gary greets them and says they have a message from Crush. He heard about their imp battle and that two of them almost died. So they're going to have to start taking their battleground training seriously. So that will be their focus tomorrow. Fitzroy asks if there will be skeletons and Gary says there might be. And Fitzroy screams that if they don't (laughs) tell him there are skeletons, that's entrapment. Gary says there will probably be skeletons, to which Fitzroy says he will not be sleeping tonight with that information, so he asks the boys if they want to watch a movie. At this exact moment, Argo finally gets the Fearbogues joke about the birch tree and busts out laughing. I loved this from Clint. So I funny. It was so funny. So good. They're having a good time, laughing their way up the stairs. I literally was like, huh, they usually start the music a little bit before the end. Weird the music hasn't started yet, yeah. as this is clearly the ending. No question about it. This is clearly the ending. And then it's not. I was wrong. Yeah. As they arrive upstairs, sitting at their dining room table, is Althea Song, (sighs) the representative from the Heroic Oversight Guild, who says she has a lot of questions for them. Then the episode ends. Oh my god! Oh my god, I'm so nervous. I'm so scared. (laughs) Why is she there? What does she want? And specifically with them. Yes. Like, there's so many students at the school. For her to go straight to them and be in their dorm room. Just waiting for them in their room. (gasps) It's so oh it's nerve-wracking i'm so i cannot scared. wait for the next episode yeah but unfortunately we'll have to wait as that is all we have for this week's episode we hope you had a good time listening but until next week i've been pj i've been lauren and we hope you'll join us again next thursday when we are once again talking taz <laughs>